is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Feeding phosphorus supplements to cattle during the wet season can give stations a 700% return on investment. That is huge. So why aren't more stations getting on board? You know, supplements are expensive, but um, the return on investment is really good. And so they eat it at at the start a lot and people think, oh, we're going to go broke. But um, time and time again, I hear that intakes slow down once they um, top up their levels. Yeah, today we're going to learn about a project that aims to make it easier to get phosphorus into your cattle. Also today, an update on a big fire that's burning near the Queensland Territory border. And you'll get to meet Bob Holder, who's been called the world's oldest cowboy. Oh, here yeah, I was a drover when I was a kid. and just drove and rodeo and things like that. But uh, no, I enjoy it. I love it. I have a good horse right now. Yeah, 91 years young. Bob Holder, you'll hear his story before 1.30 today on the Country Hour. We're broadcasting across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. The tiger prawn season in northern Australia has come to an end one month earlier this year to allow prawn stocks to recover. Now, of the 52 trawlers that work in the northern prawn fishery, 11 of them are owned by the company Austral Fisheries. Its operations manager, Brian Van Wick, explained to Tenya Murphy why the boats headed back at the end of October. Basically, we've had three years with average catches in the the tiger prawn fishery. The general conception is that it's not caused by overfishing, uh, that scientists sort of believe that it's probably environmentally driven. So the the history of this fishery, there used to be actually over 300 boats fishing 24-7 in the 80s, you know, every day. And now we've only got 52 boats fishing uh, four months a year for tiger prawns, and they're only fishing at night time. So we believe that it's not fishing that's driving prawn numbers down, it's just sort of a bit of a slump. But that doesn't really excuse us from not doing something about it. So, you know, taking leadership, we decided to remove the month of November for this year. So we, as an industry, we agreed to finish on the 31st of October. The general feeling behind that is that there'll be more prawns left over to repopulate the fishing grounds for next year. Uh, The way the fuel price has been going, it it didn't really make sense to stay out in November anyway because fuel's gotten quite expensive. How was the catch in the three months that you were out there for? I'd probably say average or maybe below average uh we kind of knew that we expected that based on the surveys done before the season yeah if the the figures aren't out yet if i had to guess it'd be about a thousand to one thousand two hundred tons for the fishery uh which is yeah below average but we've had certainly a lot worse years than this in the past followed by really really good years it's a species that can bounce back any minute is this the most expensive season you've ever experienced in terms of operating costs? Definitely for me in my short career, only being seven years. A few other guys that have been here a lot longer may have had a worse one back in the day, but certainly been a tough year on pretty much anyone involved in seafood. You know, we've had fuel prices, obviously the, the big one that everyone's talking about, but that's not the only thing that's gone up for us. We've had 
increased uh, costs on all fronts of the business, like packaging, labour, um, vessel maintenance, cold storage, you know, just pretty much all aspects. So, And then when you look at fuel, it's become quite volatile. Um, but if you average out the fuel price for this year, it's probably around three to four times what we were paying even two years ago. So, yes, I'd say this has been one of the toughest years that I've experienced and a lot of other people have too. Is it getting to the point where it's where it's almost not profitable to fish for prawns or how do you know when you are getting to that point? <laughs> That's a very good question. It's something that we've spent a lot of time on this year. It's something that we haven't really had to look at so intensely in quite a while um, there's certainly been operators that have had to tie boats up and and it would make sense for them to not fish at all that they'd lose less money by not fishing than actually fishing um, we're certainly on the edge we've, we've been really fortunate that we've been able to continue operating but you know as a business owner or operator you certainly feel feel the impacts and uh yeah certainly things need to change uh for us to have a sustainable future we need to catch more or fuel needs to become cheaper are retailers of prawns passing on those costs to consumers yeah so our domestic market we haven't had increases in prawn prices everyday australians are facing increased pressure with rising costs and if you're an average family at a grocery shop with a tight budget Seafood something that you're probably going to drop first. It's not a necessity. Um, so, yeah, it didn't make sense for us to put prawn prices up to cover costs of fuel. It's pretty sobering when you look at seafood statistics and over 70% of seafood in Australia consumed is imported and the majority of seafood we catch is exported. We'd love to see that turn around. Um, but the harsh reality is Australians don't want to pay a lot of money for seafood and I get that you know thing, things are tough but if you want sustainable seafood quality and to support Australians then yeah you do kind of have to have a sh think about it and a shift and sort of ask yourself where your seafood's coming from and um, yeah spend spend that little bit more. What are your predictions for the next season? I guess it starts in April so that's a while away but how much is riding on having a good season next year? <laughs> uh, I've got to get my crystal ball out but we're really dependent on rainfall. Uh, the last sort of two years, we've been predicted to have a La Nina event, which is more rain. Unfortunately, the last two years, that rain seems to have fallen around Brisbane and southeast Queensland, and we didn't really get any of that in the, in the Gulf and the places that needed to, to go. Um, the prediction this year is the same again, a La Nina, but we've got our fingers and toes crossed that some of that rain goes to where it needs to go. Um, all it takes is one cyclone with a lot of water um, to basically make for a really good year. That is Austral Fisheries Operations Manager Brian Van Wick speaking there to Tanya Murphy. So the tiger prawn season in northern Australia, it's over. It's come to an end one month earlier this year. And those prawn trawlers, they won't be back out fishing until April next year. So that's a long time to be parked up. A long time. Now... In some other interesting seafood news. Just roll them in flour and fry them on the stove or chuck them in the fire and cook them on the coals. Serve with rice and a panic in the tea. Some chips and salad anyway will do me. Barramundi. Barramundi. Barramundi have been found in the Brisbane River. The, 
in Brisbane. Annie Brown joins me in the studio. What's the story here? They're not meant to be in the Brisbane that River, That seems are quite <laughs> south. That seems quite cold. It's quite far below the Barama line. It is <laughs> below, below the Barama line, indeed. Yeah, so there's a, a fish tagging program that's been running for the last 30 years, and they've, yep. they've tagged a million fish they've just reached, their millionth fish that they've tagged across Queensland, the Northern Territory, and Western Australia. And in 2021, they found 35 tagged barramundi in the Brisbane River. So, yes, 2021, as you're right, was last year. I'm not quite sure what's taken them so long to, to break get the data news. out. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> they couldn't believe it themselves. Maybe they couldn't believe it themselves. That's exactly right. Maybe they needed time to process what they were seeing. But it is actually not the first time that barramundi have been found in the Brisbane River, in fact. So, they've found the 35 tag fish in the Brisbane River last year. They said uh, between the years 2014 and 2016, they found two tagged barramundi. And uh, they also found one which they had tagged back in 2013 that had come from the Fitzroy River in central and Queensland. Not in the Kimberley, central Queensland. Yeah. That's still a f- decent way to swim. That's in- it's an incredible way to swim. But they found that one back in 2018. So it took five years for that barramundi to swim down to the Brisbane River. Gee, and so the scientists, what are they saying? Why are the barra heading south? So... What's happening here is they're saying that it's uh, climate change, essentially, is what we're seeing uh, taking place here. So rising temperatures, uh, a lot of researchers are saying that they're seeing other animals also shift down. So they're seeing snails, clam and, and other species of fish moving towards the poles, which they say is called the polewood shift uh, because of those rising water temperatures. It's getting warmer and so they can live further down south. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Professor Ian Tibbetts, he's from the University of Queensland. He's uh, sort of been the the talking professor on this this story so far for the ABC. Uh, And he's saying that, you know, Australia is moving a small amount every year further into the tropics. If you can make sense of that. So okay, okay. He said it's very, very slowly, like a fingernail growth a year, uh, that Australia is moving north. And so, therefore, some of the tropical species are moving into places that we've never seen before. Okay, so a couple of things here, Annie Brown. I'll admit, I don't know Brisbane that well. <laughs> Love the idea, though, of going along the Story Bridge, wetting the line, grabbing a barramundi for lunch. That sounds really <laughs> cool. Another thing that comes to mind, so this program's tagged a million fish. Mm-hmm over the course of its life. Mm -hmm. So does that mean there'd be people in the Northern Territory who might jag a barra on the weekend and it's got a tag in it? And then they're going, here we go, I've just won $10,000 or maybe a million dollars. And no, it'd just be part of research, age-old research. What's wrong with research? That's still a win, isn't it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. You don't get a million (laughs) dollars. I reckon it'd leave a bad taste in your mouth. All right, interesting. People can read more about the Brisbane Barramundi online right now if they go searching for ABC News. Served with rice and a panic in the tea Some chips and salad anyway will do me Barramundi Brisbane Barramundi Barramundi Right across the territory. On the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. (laughs) Phosphorus deficiency is a major problem for cattle grazing across northern Australia. And research has shown that supplementing cattle with phosphorus during the wet season can give you a return on investment of around 700%. 
That's huge, isn't it? 700%. You take that to the bank. And yet the uptake of this information by cattle stations in the north has been fairly poor. So the NT government's Department of Industry is now working on a project to make it easier for stations to get phosphorus into stock during those wetter months. The guru behind all of this research is Tim Schotts. I spoke to him about the project. The original phosphorus trial that was done at uh, Kidman Springs just showed massive returns on investment. So we uh, fed uh, phosphorus supplement to one treatment and no phosphorus in the supplement to the other treatment. They still got um, urea supplements in the dry season and just saw massive differences. So there was huge improvements in growth, pregnancy rates, weaning rates. Um, The weaners were heavier. There was more of them. There was lower mortality rates and all these things combined to give a really good return on investment. So when we worked out uh, the value of the extra beef uh, that was produced from the plus P treatment, it was about 700% return on investment for every dollar you spent on phosphorus supplementation. Which is huge. The price of phosphorus has gone up a lot in the last 12 months. Does it st- is it still worth doing? Yeah, well, yes, it has, but um, there's still a fair bit of profit left in it, um, even at the higher um, prices, and thankfully also the cattle prices have gone up um, a fair bit since I did the figures on that because they were um, back at $3.20 um, when I did the sum, so um, they've gone up as well. 700% return on investment. Doesn't get much better than that, and yet the uptake across the northern cattle industry hasn't been tremendous why do you think that is? Okay, so I think um, there has been a quite a big uptake on places where they can do it, but the issues are where access is a problem during the wet season. So um, during the rainy season, when you can't get across creeks where the, where the country is boggy, it's difficult to put supplements out. Um, that's where the issue is. And so we've designed the EZP trial um, to come up with a method that's really easy to, um, for properties to implement when that's the situation and that's what's preventing them from adopting phosphorus supplementation. And, and I will get to EZP in a moment, but um, did I also hear that a lot of people read the research, said, all right, and they ordered in the phosphorus, started putting it out in the paddocks and the cattle just absolutely chewed through it in record speed and that perhaps gave people the jitters as they forked out you know, dollar after dollar. Yeah, well, look, um, you know, supplements are expensive, but um, the return on investment is really good. And I have heard that, that a lot of people, when they first start feeding it out, because the cattle are deficient, they really hoe in. and um, It's actually a sign they need it. Yeah, so um, they, they eat what they need. And so they eat it at, at the start a lot, and people think, oh, we're going to go broke. But um, time and time again, I hear that intakes slow down once they um, top up their levels, and um, it, it does come back to a more um, you know, palatable level for you to uh, fund. So this project, EZP, trying to make it easier for everyone in the north to, to get those phosphorus supplements to the cattle. Tell us about it. Yeah. So the EZP treatment is designed to be easy for properties um, to put out their supplement if they have troubles with access in the wet season, but it's also um, proving um, to be a good strategy for any property. So what it is, it's including phosphorus in your dry season supplement, 
which um, traditionally hasn't been done because um, in the past um, you see your benefits in terms of growth from phosphorus during the wet season and not in the dry season. But we include it in the dry season because we know that cows, phosphorus is not stationary in cows, so um, they mobilise it from out of their bones and tissues when there's not enough phosphorus in their diet. And this happens during lactation. A lot of phosphorus goes out in the milk, and so these cows get deficient. And so when you wean their calves, if you've got phosphorus in their dry season supplement, um, they can uh, re-aliment or replenish their phosphorus stocks. And so we're seeing a benefit from that. And so the easy pea treatment is including pea in your dry season supplement and then putting out bulk phosphorus, enough to get you through the wet season, and you put it out before the rains start, and then you don't have to do anything um, during the wet season as far as putting out any more supplement. If you put out a big bulk bag of phosphorus and then it gets rained on, what happens then though? Yeah, well, um, you, there are losses through leaching, so it may be a, a good idea to put a roof over. Um, on the big properties where there's just so many um, bags put out, um, you know, it's difficult to get that many sheds out, and so you just factor in a bit of loss um, and, and put out as, as much as you think you'll need. But, um, yeah, look, we've done uh, the work we've done in our research farms. We got quite a bit of loss on the uncovered bag, um, but it's still there were some still there at the end of the wet season. But I think um, it probably would pay to put a roof over it if you can. And, and they can be done quite cheaply with a few sheets of tin between trees, and there's all sorts of ingenious ways of doing that. Tim, this Easy P project out in the VRD has been running for two years. Are there any results you can share with us? Yeah, well, we do have preliminary results. So in the first year, we saw no difference between the two treatments. Um, so the growth and the pregnancy rates were the same in the maiden heifers. And then in the second year, when uh, the cows had calved for the first time and weaned the calves, we saw the re reconception rates were 14% higher in the Easy P treatment and the average weight of the cows was uh, 21 kilos heavier. So um, basically, we haven't done the stats on that yet. Those results may or may not be statistically significant, but they're showing that the easy pea treatment is at least as good as um, traditional phosphorus supplementation and possibly better. So you're doing this out at the Kidman Springs Research Station, but are you aware of commercial operators giving this a go at the moment? Yeah, well, there are... Um, commercial properties that have been doing this for years quite successfully yep. um, more so just the bulk wet season uh, supplement before the rain starts um, less so that um, have been putting it in the dry season lick but that is in increasing um, and another aspect of this project is that we have a uh, producer demonstration site on Bulo River Station um, and people will be able to view um, the results there and see how um, practical and easy it is on a commercial property to implement. So for cattle stations listening, is, is now the time to, to act and, and get some phosphorus out into the paddocks? Yeah, so I would say, you know, November's a good time to put it out just in case you get early rains in the VRD. Um, if you're further north, you might need to put it out even earlier. Um, but yeah, you just calculate how much you um, need to put out based on, you know, working out about nine grams per head per day for the duration of the wet season. Do your sums, work out how much you need to put out and then put it out before you think the rains are going to start. But I guess the thing is now phosphorus supplementation is increasing in adoption and so there's more demand and so you need to order early if you want to um, make sure you don't miss out and not get it in time. Yeah, has Northern Australia got access to enough phosphorus? 
Um, well, currently they do. Um, there are some concerns about it, but then there's also, um, you know, stories about um, new new sources within Australia. So um, time will tell, I guess, and, um, you know, all these things are always supply and demand. And thank you for your time on the country out today. Sure. Yeah, big thanks to Tim Schotts. He's the Principal Livestock Researcher with the Department of Industry. That project is called Easy P. If you'd like to learn more, get in touch with the department. G'day, I'm Bill West. I've uh, been skippering trawlers in the NPF for 43 years, and you're listening to the Country Hour. I wonder if it's raining at your place this afternoon. It's just started to pour rain in the CBD of Darwin. Judging from top-end radars, there's quite a few storms firing up this afternoon as we go to wear, and I see the Weather Bureau's just issued a severe thunderstorm warning for people in parts of the Daly, Simpson, Lassiter and Tenamai districts. I will learn more about that when we speak to the Bureau at five past one. If it's raining at your place this afternoon, let the rest of us know. We always love getting your rainfall reports. 0487 991057 is the text here at the Country Hour. Still raining out the window, producer any? Still wet? Yep, pouring down in Darwin Town. Now, the live export industry held its live exchange gala dinner last night, which included some very special awards. Well done to Senny Hussey, who is the Roebuck Depot Manager near Broome. She was named the 2022 Livestock Exporter Young Achiever of the Year. So well done to Senny. And congratulations to Angus Adnam, who received the Ian McIver Lifetime Achievement Award and was inducted into the industry's Hall of Fame. Now, Angus, he helped to establish the NT Livestock Exporters Association in the 1970s and was actually its first president. Here's a bit of an interview I did with Angus a few years back where I got him to share the story on how the NT LEA started. Matt, I arrived in Darwin five days after the cyclone in 1976 and uh, ten days later we loaded a stretch DC-8 for Brunei who'd had an outbreak of hemorrhaging septicemia through their buffaloes. So uh, I landed here and the rest is history. We, uh, we had a pretty active uh, uh, history of, of exporting livestock that year and the following year, uh, much smaller ships, mainly to, uh, to, to Malaysia and Brunei. And uh, we felt we needed to talk collectively to the government, and that's how the NTLEA was formed. Were you getting good dollars for cattle in 1976 to Brunei? Uh, we were, but unfortunately the producers weren't. Uh, we were paying about 30 cents a kilo. Uh, my understanding is when you started, there was a lot of cattle being exported by ship, but there was also uh, quite a few cattle being flown out. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's, that's correct, uh, Matt. It, it was an age of uh, very low fuel prices, and uh, we were able to secure stretched DC-8s in particular, and uh, we were flying cattle out of here on a regular basis, particularly to Brunei, one aircraft load each 12 hours. Um, worked really well. We loaded out of the... Uh, the back of the airport near the RAF base there and uh, it, it worked particularly well except when they got out which uh, which always made a very interesting read in the newspapers. <laughs> the NT News front page I can bet. Absolutely yes we, uh, we actually took to sleeping uh, at the uh, underneath the aircraft to prevent the animals um, getting out but uh, the festivities under the aircraft unfortunately uh, made uh, 
made us sleep a little too heavily and uh, even then they, they kept continuing to jump out of the portable yard, which was unfortunate. Between the 70s and now, what would you say were the, were the real golden years of the live export trade? Well, I suppose in, in a romantic sense, uh, back in the uh, 70s and 80s, as far as I was concerned, was certainly golden. But, but really the, the, the golden days, I think, are the last couple of years as we've become far more sophisticated. This end, our ships are better, our destinations are better, our slaughtering systems are better. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the constant improvement in the, in the trade has been, uh, has been a remarkable one. The export supply chain assurance system, is it working well in your eyes? Yes, I think it, I think it is. Uh, and, and there were many importers, importers in many countries who, who were practising uh, end-of-chain uh, monitoring, so it's nothing new for many of the companies, particularly in Indonesia. Uh, the downside, of course, has been the bureaucracy and the horrendous cost of, uh, of the SCAS supervision in Canberra. It's, uh, it's unsustainable and uh, it's impacting on markets uh, in, a, in a very deleterious fashion. That is Angus Adnam speaking to me a few years ago now. And last night he received the Ian MacIvor Lifetime Achievement Award and was inducted into the Live Export Industries Hall of Fame. Well done to Angus. Hi, my name's Sam Furman. I'm an apprentice at Helimuster NT. I maintain all the aerial mustering helicopters up here in the north and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon and in a moment you'll get to meet Bob Holder. He is 91 years old, still follows and competes in the rodeo circuit and has been called the world's oldest cowboy. Oh, yeah, I was a drover when I was a kid. and just drove and rodeo and things like that. But uh, no, I enjoy it. I love it. I have a good horse right now. Bob Holder, still competing in rodeos at 91 years. That's the go. Is it raining at your place this afternoon? There's a few storms popping up. 0487991057 is the text number here at the Country Hour. I got sent this little bit of audio from our reporter in Catherine Max. This is of some beautiful rain that swept over Cape Town last night. And a bit of thunder. How nice does that sound, hey? Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. And Sally, the Bureau's just put out a severe weather warning. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we've got severe severe thunderstorm warning covering two parts of the territory, so either end. The down south, we've got some storms on the radar just south of Alice Springs, and there's a more sort of back sort of down towards the APY lands at the moment. But they could produce some damaging wind gusts. Up in the north, we've got uh, some storms coming down off the of Gunpoint across Darwin, and they historically have been sort of liable to produce some damaging wind gusts. So we've got a, a warning out for that as well. For Darwin Airport at the moment, we've we've had 14.8 millimetres so far out of that that rain. The visibility is just under a thousand metres. So it's some heavy force coming through that Darwin area, but those storms extend right down the west coast, and mm-hmm. we've even got some popping up down round to the east of the Bolo Volga Rangway. 
Okay, then. Um, I'm just looking at the radar, and you can see plenty of colour in places like Berry Springs. I, I get worried for the mango growers. That's not what they want. No. It, at the moment, it looks like there's nothing much following this in. So hopefully the more to the Cox Peninsula way will, once this goes through, things will ease off. But we've still got all the activity coming in to around Middle Point Way, to Marakai, that sort of going moving down towards the southwest. So they're moving in a slightly unusual direction as well. Or they do move this way, but we don't often see them moving in this direction. Yeah. In terms of rainfall figures, up to 9 o'clock this morning, can you share with us some of the best ones? Because it's quite a list. Yeah, it's quite a list. The Nuckins Lagoon had 27 millimetres. The, so that was the, the top in the, the Darwin area. If you, the Darwin Daily District, we've got 30 mils down at Fanny Creek, 38 at Birdie Creek, 28 at the Lisbeth Downs, 24.4 at the Tyndall Raff in that storm's got 41 millimetres. The owner station, 20, 21 at Central Arnhem Plateau coming so we've got in the Arnhem district, you've got 56 mils on Groot Island and 43 at Narwilly. The Coyote River got 36 as well. MacArthur, both MacArthur area, we've got the Daly River, Daly Waters airstrip had 28 millimetres, 41 down at Snowdrop Creek, 53 at Pavunk Range and MacArthur River airstrip, 50 millimetres. And 11 so millimetres in the gauge at Fink River. So... From the oh, top yeah, to the yeah. bottom, there was a little bit around. Yep. Uh, the weekend yeah, ahead, right. the weekend ahead for the territory, Sally Cutter. What is the forecast? Uh, more of the same. We're going to see the winds pick up through that south, through the Lassiter district, basically, but to the southwest. Which and there's a bit of drier air coming in tomorrow, so that's going to increase the fire dangers. But we're expecting to see those showers and storms extend right across the NT, apart from the Lassiter district, basically tomorrow and. Sunday, a bit of cooler air coming in on Sunday into Yulara and coming through Alice on Monday. Tennant Creek's not really going to see too much of the cooler air and they're going to see those showers and storms continuing through the, the weekend and into early next week. But the, we could see heavy rainfall and damaging wind gusts out of any of those storms of the, of the weekend across the NT. And what about the weekend ahead for fishos? What can you tell them? Oh, that's on the coastal waters. We, because this trough is coming through central Australia, it's sort of easing the winds off a little bit. We've got westerlies to generally on the west coast, but it gets a little bit northeasterly in there as well. But during the afternoon, sending north-northwesterly today. Then tomorrow, we've got northerly winds and north-northwesterly winds for the weekend. If you're heading out on onto the, on, or if you're out on the north coast, east to northeasterly winds, 10 to 15 knots through the weekend, and then around in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Northeast to northwest winds, becoming northeastly about 10 knots, 10 to 15 knots in the morning. We could see winds up to 20 knots inshore during the afternoon and evening as the sea breeze reinforces those winds. And tomorrow morning we could see those 15 to 20 knots return, the, and that's going to continue into Sunday as well. Okay, thanks for your time this afternoon. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. And just repeating, a severe thunderstorm warning in place now. For damaging winds for people in parts of the Daly, Simpson, Lassiter and Tenamai districts. There'll be updates throughout the afternoon on your ABC, your emergency broadcaster. Our text number is 0487 99 1057. If it's raining at your place this afternoon, let us know. Let us know.
I'm loving the optimism in this text from Russell regarding our earlier story of Barramundi popping up in the Brisbane River. Russell says, Matt, if the Barra are heading south, does this mean the Barra Nationals will be moved to the Todd River in Alice Springs? Maybe, says Russell on 0487 99 The Barra Nationals in the Todd. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be lovely? I won't hold my breath, Russell, but it would be special. You know, imagine that. Imagine that. It's 12 past one here on the country. Hour. Let's listen to that rain in K-Town again. Mm-mm. I tell you what, I hope Woolagarang Station is getting a little bit of rain this afternoon. Nice rain and no lightning. Woolagarang's been tackling a big, big fire out there on the Queensland border. In fact, station manager William McMillan says that fire has now been burning for more than a month. Uh, lightning started some fires on the, about the 5th of October up in some ranges and then we were hoping for a few early storms and a few big dews to put them out, but that hasn't happened. They've been going for about a month now. And then, yeah, a few attempts of back burning and a couple more lightning fires in the same sort of ranges and it became one big fire. A month, burning for a month. How much of the station is, has burnt? Oh, probably of Woolagrang, it's, yeah, it'd be probably 30 or 40% maybe. I'm not sure I haven't actually had a added it up but yeah it's sort of it's burned a whole lot of pungalina and the sort of the top end of calvert hills as well what kind of impact has that had on you oh it'll be a good thing if it decided to start raining but nothing much on the horizon at the moment but yeah um, i wasn't too worried at the start but then the forecast doesn't look that promising so yeah we it's a bit scary um for this near future anyway we'll just have to wait for some storms have you had to move any cattle or change your mustering plans there with those fires no, it's a very dry year up here so we finished mustering a little bit earlier because yeah pretty tough year but yeah we have we have shifted a lot of cattle into places where it hasn't been burnt because of the yep yeah, and then but yeah mustering sort of hasn't changed the program hasn't changed much but yeah we have that definitely had to move a few mobs to put them on some pastures, yeah. And how much of the, the grazing land that you've got there has been impacted? No, I, it, where the fires are, it, uh, yeah, in, in a lot of bush country and ranges, etc. But, yeah, there's sort of two paddocks, two pretty big paddocks there. It's burnt sort of yeah, 90% of the whole paddock out. So, yeah, it's affected a few thousand head of cows, yeah. And there's been some rain in the in the region. Have you had any at Woolagrang yet? Woolagrang had some early storms. I've not. I've had sixty mil, but yeah, about three weeks ago. But it didn't go far from the house. There's there's been none at Wentworth, which is all the the northern part of Woolagrang, and then and then Calvert's had about the same as well, about sixty mil. But those few weeks of forty degrees made short short work of sixty mil. And uh, any storms in the past few days, or you've missed out at this stage? We missed out at this stage. I think Calvert Hills just had uh, 20 mil just as about ten about, about an hour ago. So if that's the start of it, we'll, we're very hopeful. And so how is it looking there at the moment? Pretty dry, I'd say. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty tough year. I think um, we've been up here ten years now. So yeah, it's it, it's a, it's the worst one we've seen. Yeah, she's pretty tough. Sixteen inches all in January in the Gulf doesn't doesn't really cut it. I'm sure it can't rain soon enough for you there. No, exactly right. That is William McMillan from Woolagarang Station on the Territory Queensland border speaking to Max Rowley. That fire has burnt a lot of good cattle country. Hopefully Woolagarang's getting some rain this afternoon. This week on Landline, as China turns away from Australian wine, India is shaping up. It definitely is a market that Australian producers are looking to invest in, um, particularly once the free trade agreement comes into force. And boot scooting life back into WA's small halls. Those town halls, there's just so much heritage in them and so much feeling. That's Landline Sunday, 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on iview. And the market report, Pip. How good is the market report this week? We'll be taking a look at the alternative meat company, Beyond Meat. Its share price has fallen more than 90% since its high in 2019. And its latest quarterly report shows a company that is in trouble. Beyond Meat has reported a net loss of over $100 million US dollars. Its net revenue has gone down 22.5%. It would seem that customers are losing their appetite for some of these plant-based products. Beyond Meat, in trouble. You'll see more on Landline this Sunday. G'day folks, I'm Darcy Skirr, I'm the farm supervisor at Pinata Farms Catherine here in Manarinka. I'm a third generation farmer for a family owned business and company, so yeah, I'm probably one of the guys out there and yeah, you listen to the country huh? uh, Now the owners of the Francis Creek Iron Ore Project near Pine Creek are hoping to get mining back up and running by April next year. The town of Pine Creek has, of course, seen a number of mining projects come and go over the years. So what does the future look like for that community? Ray Waldridge is the Managing Director of North Australian Laboratories. He's a long-time resident of Pine Creek. He says with a few mines set to reopen in the coming years, the community should see a growth in employment around town. Well, you know, the, the operating mines... Uh, need people to run them so the employment goes uh, goes up substantially even a small mining operation uh, will still have somewhere in the order of 50 to 80 permanent employees um, and contractors um, and you know you do have projects in the area like you know you've got the um, Francis Creek uh, iron ore operation that uh, uh, that, that uh, yeah, they're planning to get back into production. I mean, they have been using ore sorters to upgrade um, the uh, the old stockpiles out there with uh, with a fair bit of success. I mean, we've been doing all their assaying, so I see the you know I see how good that you know it can be. Um, there's also they're looking at you know. Uh, uh, putting in a gold processing plant out at Moline. You've got PNX uh, looking at a gold processing plant up near Hayes Creek. I mean, all of these will need people and services, and it's uh, it's employment in the in the town. I mean, they're they're good they're good projects. 
You've seen the booms and busts in the region with mining. Um, what's it been like, um, you know, over the past, you know, 20 years living in Pine Creek? Yeah, well, it's, been, uh, it's been a good place to live. Um, the, uh, the, the whole area is, uh, I mean, the, the boom and bust, I mean, you know, current gold price is uh, roughly 2500 Australian an ounce. When uh, moline and uh, um, uh, shut down, it was uh, $280 an ounce. And most of the mines down here, when Mount Todd was uh, shut down, it was 280 an ounce. It just, you know, it was just not enough to cover costs. But at 2500 a lot of the mines here will be profitable and very profitable. And given the ups and downs that we've seen, though, do you think they're viable and, and long-term will support, um, you know, a, a growth in Pine Creek? They're certainly viable, and, and uh, with commodity prices the way they are now and the demand that's being created, created by the transitioning to, uh, to uh, cleaner fuels and energy sources, then uh, uh, they'll certainly be viable and commodity prices are going through the roof because there's not enough of them and you've got to find more. That is Ray Waldridge from North Australian Laboratories speaking there to Max Rowley. Ray recently struck a deal with the UK group FINA Group uh, in terms of ownership of the lab up there on the hill at Pine Creek. If you missed our coverage of that last week, you'll be able to find it on the podcast Zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven is the text here at the Country Hour, and we're loving the idea of Barramundi heading south. Kim and Woodruff, the Barra Nationals in the Todd River, watch out! McDonald Rangers, Spangled Grunters, fish in the Billabongs. It's going to be on in Central Australia. Uh, Bruno says he caught a Barramundi in Maryborough thirty years ago. They were hanging around the warm water from a mill, says Bruno. I'll admit I don't know Queensland particularly well, so I've had to bring that up on the old uh, map. And so, yeah, so it's sort of talking what near the Mary River there, Bruno, which then flows out towards Fraser Island country. Yeah, that's fairly south, isn't it, really? That's not that far north of the Sunshine Coast. I'm still interested in the idea of Barramundi and the Todd. Wouldn't that be just tremendous? And on the text, Mark in Virginia, he obviously didn't buy shares in Beyond Meat because uh, he likes the story about that company not doing so well. I'm the apple a day that keeps the doctor away. And I'm the exercise that makes your body say... I'm the eyelids closed nice and tight to make sure you sleep soundly all night. I'm the bad habits you should try to curb. When you put us all together, you'll start to feel superb. For better health and well-being, don't delay. Jump online and take the quiz today. abc.net.au forward slash your move. Game on. Sometimes my only friends are the miles that go so slow. But you know I wouldn't be dead for quits because I'm out chasing rodeo. Bob Holder is 91 years old. And he's still chasing rodeo, competing on the professional rodeo circuit in team roping events all over Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, and he's 91 years old. Chris Calcino spoke with Bob to find out what drives him to keep chasing rodeo. Oh, yeah, I was a drover when I was a kid. 
and just drove and rodeo and things like that. Uh, I took on real estate and was very successful at that. Now, I retired that'll be about oh, eight years ago. I just, just rodeo full-time when there's a rodeo on there. And you mean mm-hmm. that when there's a rodeo on, you're there, as in anywhere in the country, basically, you're travelling around and competing? Yeah, yeah I compete all through Queensland and uh, New South Wales, Victoria, going to South Australia. You're not up on the back of bucking balls these days, but riding around no. and roping steers is still a very athletic task. So how are you able to oh, keep yeah. going after all these years? No problem. <laughs> just kill. I used to ride bronx and bulls and bareback horses and bulldogs. After I did the lot one time, I used to do six events. Wild horse race, wild cow milking. How long I did that for 18 years. I'd go to rodeo, I'd be up, you know, seven or eight times one day. But uh, no, I enjoy it, I love it. I have a good horse right now. But I've been off for six months. I, uh, I got a, a germ in my lungs. I've been sitting around on, on air for the last uh, two months. But I hope, I hope to be right again in about oh, two or three weeks. So my horse is ready and, and I'm ready to go, but I just haven't got enough breathing space at the present moment. But I'm improving every day. I know a few older people who can't sit still. They're not all up there riding on horseback at 91, but they're still very active, and they always seem to say that it's a case of use it or lose it. Is that an idea that you subscribe to? Yeah, I subscribe to that. I, I, I don't lose it. And, and mix with young people is a really great thing. They mix with a lot of... I love old people, but don't mix with them heavily because you get things up like them, you know, your, your knees sore or your, or your eyes sore and you can't see or something's going to happen or I'm going to have an operation. I, I I can't take that. You prefer to be around young people? Yeah. Well, they they keep you young, I think. They they keep you young. I like old people. I'm not knocking them, don't worry. I love them sitting in the yard, but not sit and talk to them about, you know, when are we going to have the next operation? I I just got two new hips in myself, so I can talk about them to you. And with what you're doing, are you actively trying to inspire Aussies to keep going and doing what they love as they get older, or is that just sort of a byproduct of you doing what you love? I was doing what I love, but I love to see young fellas coming along too and keep me going. I love to see, meet young people who uh, would like to know a bit about it, sit down and talk to them about it and, and tell them to get stuck into it. If they like it, just take it on. It's a good sport. My father was a drover. He had big bobs of horses, you know, pretty wild, bad horses. But we would, we would jump it on them, buck it off them, and you know, fall off them, buck off them, some bloody thing. But anyway, we got to like them. I just like bucket horses. I love them. They can be fun, but they can also be pretty dangerous. Have you had any uh, injuries over the years? Oh, no, not many, no. Maybe a couple of bones broken at all. No, nothing stopped me anyway. That's great to hear because I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you haven't had a few more bust-ups over the years. And I was, I was wondering what your doctor says when you tell him that you're going out riding this weekend. Does he, does he have a heart attack or does he just, like, keep going? He, he just looks at me. <laughs> looks at me and doesn't say very much. I said, it's a part of the whole game. I love it. I'm going to keep on doing it. I read somewhere about four years ago that you were the oldest competing rodeo rider in Australia, but there was still some conjecture over whether or not you were the oldest in the world. Can you now say yeah. definitively you are the oldest? They tell me, the experts tell me, they, they, they contacted America through the uh, Cowboy Association over there. But the old competing one is, is, is some 80s and 85s, but they only go out once a you know once a month. You go go to a, a jackpot team at the might rope once a year. They might, but I compete every professional rodeo. And they're, they're not professional rodeo, but I am. I compete against the best of them. That is Bob Holder, ninety-one years of age, two new hips, and chasing rodeo. What a legend! Hey, that wraps up a week of Country Hour. It's been a busy week. 
I hope you've enjoyed our coverage from the live exchange conference. We broadcast there on Wednesday and Thursday. So if you missed any of that coverage, you can catch it via the podcast. To everyone fishing in the Todd River this week, best of luck and keep it rural. Rural.